my lovely parent friends. And apparently we are still friends and on episode 59 of the Teen and Teen Parenting Podcast. I am your cruise director in this journey that we call parenting and it is difficult and I've heard some people describe what they're feeling constantly is like there is an elephant on their chest and I can't watch it anymore because I know we could switch it around really quickly. I, I give kids talk to you and instead talk to the craziest neighbor who offers them a hit or a drink or a video game, whatever, because they can't share a feeling with you guys. You guys can't handle your own feelings and they can't handle their feelings. I, I, I give a fucking shit that you're anxious all the time, that, that you believe that there's nothing you can do about it, that, that your kids can't tell you things because they're afraid of worrying, worrying you. I, I care. I profoundly freaking care. And that's why I do this. I, I'm going to have you have meaningful conversations where you can handle any feeling that comes your way and you can experience connection and joy so that they can go off and be independent, thoughtful, caring, adult humans that might possibly protect the planet. I know that's a tall order, but that's where we're headed. That's what we're doing this for. That's why we have the kids. Because we're propagating something for the future. And if we're bringing with us the past generational trauma, and creating a future generational trauma because we can't interrupt something. I, no, I am not gonna watch this anymore. I'm not watching. And that's why I do this. That's why I'm here. Because, because I can't, I just can't. Anyway, that is my little ranty rant rant. The I can't rant, a little bit of cursing in there, but I think that's my messaging now. My messaging is that I, because I freaking care. Because I, I'm just not watching it anymore because the buck stops here. That's the message now. And if you want help with that, if you want to change the trajectory of your lives, of your children's life and, and the world, then get in touch with me and we will figure something out. Anyway, so I just wanted to talk a little bit about some of the young people that I had encounters with this week. So I am finished with my time in Nome. There were four weeks that I was there, which is really great. Remember, I work in a native hospital, mostly with Alaskan natives, uh, in a fishing village in the Bering Strait, and then a small remote town called Nome. And the native Alaskans have truly been oppressed in such a significant way. And it's a fairly recent oppression, only the past couple of hundred years. So we call it the lower 48. In the lower 48, the oppression that happened to the Native Americans had been going on for a long time. This is a fairly recent one. And so when people expect that somehow a group will get over an out and out genocide, and then policies in place that make it difficult in order to move forward, and then people who treat them differently, it, it just doesn't happen. And so the change actually does have to start within yourself. Because you have to believe fully that there's something so wonderful about you, that there is something that you can offer. There is something that you ironclad believe about yourself and that you don't believe whatever the rhetoric or whatever is being said from the outside world 
about your people or about what's going on with your people. And I had an interesting conversation with somebody because I was going to see a patient or actually a patient was on my schedule and somebody had said to me, the likelihood is they're not going to show up. And I said, why? And she didn't want to tell me. And I said, well, it, it would be helpful for me to know, to understand. And she said, well, they tend to drink, but I don't want you to judge them. And I thought, well, I, I, don't, I don't really judge in that way. Like, I, I mean, obviously I do. I think we can't help but internalize you know, racist classes patterns, just given the way we've been, you know, talked to in this society, the, the, the things we visualize, the, the ways in which we have kind of been brainwashed in a way about what groups are good, what groups aren't good, you know, which ones are dangerous, which ones aren't dangerous, which ones are, you know, progressing, which ones aren't progressing. I mean, I, I think that we're given these messages constantly. So the messaging is really, really strong. And she said, well, I just don't want you to think that all native Alaskans are alcoholics. I thought that was really interesting. And I said, thank you for sharing with me the conversation that probably we all need to have. I actually don't believe that. And I do understand how oppression and oppression theory works and where people get marginalized and where they're unable to kind of deal with whatever the societal structure that's in place well and so people are trying to not feel their feelings and i totally get it and i don't know i think that's why i do this work because i want us to be able to feel our feelings fully and still remember and believe something about ourselves so the one thing is that there's a way in which the woman who's sharing this with me does believe that about her people and so it's gotten internalized that it is a possibility that that's true. And I think when we internalize it and then we're scared to talk about it and there's something we believe about it, that we do the work of the oppressor for them, that we make our lives small, that we give in to whatever addictions and buffering we need to, that we create a victimized way in which we move through the world. And it really makes the job of the oppression easier because really you're not prepared or able to fight the, the good fight, but you also do not feel confident enough to continue the fight because that's what ends up having to happen and not saying that I'm blaming the victim, but the only thing that we have control over is ourselves and what we decide to think and how we manage and take care of our feelings how we're going to show up and what we're going to do to move forward. So I saw two 13 year old boys as well. And I love 13 year old boys. I mean, teenage boys are just magnificent, especially 13 year olds, because I think 13 year olds still are kind of on the precipice of really wanting to be close and wanting to share their feelings. They're, they're, they're just being pushed over the edge where they, they absolutely believe that they can. Now, it's not as if boys don't get that message from early on that they really can't show all their feelings, that they can't really 
be that close to people that they can't connect fully in ways that are truly deep, heartfelt, and meaningful. They get those messages, but I think that they continue to try at least up to a certain point. And then at some point you've tried so much and the message has been squashed so much and you feel so awful about it that you just kind of give up. So, so where a boy gives up his ability to cry or get really close or stay connected or have an emotion other than anger, it's very specific. You, sometimes people can almost name the time when that happened, when they gave up enough where they weren't willing to try anymore. And that's a sad time. I always said that about my kids. Like if my kids are willing to fight with me, to fight for something, have a tantrum, tell me I'm wrong, really go head to head with me. I still believe that they are hopeful that something will change. That doesn't mean I agree with them. That doesn't mean I'm going to do what they tell me to do. That doesn't mean that I don't get frustrated and can't walk away for a little while. But there is a small shred of hope that there's a possibility that something can change. And I think about that related to a story my mom tells me and her sisters. And so she had an older sister who had given up fully. She just became quiet, docile, did whatever anyone told her to do, and was pretty miserable and ended up dealing with a lot of mental health issues. Now, I'm not saying that giving up caused the mental health issues. The mental health issues might have been there beforehand. But there was some way in which she gave up about the possibility of her having the kind of life that she wanted to have. And my mother's youngest sister used to fight and fight and fight with my grandma, with her mother. And my mother kept saying, why don't you just agree with her or just lie, which was my mother's tactic, just to lie, which I think worked pretty well for her. Also, she had a really great sense of humor and so she would laugh about things, but she would basically just not tell my grandma anything. My youngest aunt, her younger sister, I think still kept fighting for what she knew in her mind was right or a way in which she continued to try to be heard or understood or stay close or something like that. So if we could look at where our kids give us a struggle as the possible continued fight to stay close and connected and to have things made right, even if it's the wrong thing that they're pushing for, that there's some way that they still have a fight left in them. And I think that the fight could be used in a positive way and doesn't necessarily have to be negative. It is gonna be frustrating as hell and you are gonna be at your last wit's end. But when you can handle any emotion and you can just be intensely curious and not take it personally and take care of whatever your needs are in other places, you might be able to stay in there for that continued fight that they might wanna have in order for them to move whatever they need to move forward, in order for them to grow independent, in order for them to have an entrepreneurial spirit, in order for them to change the world in ways that they think might actually keep the world going. This is a big order. It's a big order. 
to be able to stick in there for that fight. And I know we can do it. That's the great part, is that I know you can, and I know it's not gonna feel good, but you can do this. Anyway, so I met these lovely 13-year-old boys, and they were in foster care, and they were brought in with a very thoughtful foster mom. And I can see that they were somewhat guarded and it was not that easy to open up and each one with a different way in which they showed their personality. I saw them both individually. And then at some point during the visit, I usually ask the mom or the guardian or the parent that's there to leave the room so that I could have harder discussions with the young people, especially young people who are teenagers, discussions about sex, discussion about drugs, smoking, feelings, relationships, sex, whatever it is. And somehow this one kid, I said, you, you look upset, tell me what you're feeling. And he had no idea what a feeling was. He couldn't identify it. He couldn't describe it. He couldn't even name it. And I said, well, what are you thinking right now? And he said something like, I miss my poppy. And that was the first thing I had heard from him. And so I said, well, so you have a thought about that. What does it make you feel? And he said, it makes me sad. And I said, well, what does sad look like for you? Like, what is sad? And then he could describe where it felt in his body, how big it was, what color it was. Was it vibrating or not vibrating? Did it make a noise or not make a noise? What would it say to him if it could talk? And after just listening, he actually could describe it. So there he was, this young 13-year-old who had had more trauma than anybody should have in their lifetime, telling me a thought and describing a feeling related to it. And then he started to cry. And then I said, well, how is that for you? And he said, okay. I was like, well, can you handle that feeling? I mean, a feeling really is, when you think about it, it's kind of an emotional charge in your body. It's just a, a vibration, an energy, a whatever it is that courses through you. Like once you're observing it, you could be objective about it. But when you're not observing it, when you're trying to outrun it, when you're trying to react to it, when you have to respond to it or make it go away or decide that something has gone really wrong, it can easily take over. And he said, no, that, that was a good, like I could handle that feeling. I said, well, every time you handle a hard feeling, cause you're gonna have to start naming them. So I gave him a list of feelings and a place to go to look them up. And when you name them and you're able to feel them and describe them and really be objective about them and be an observer of them, I want you to put a piece of sea glass, just because in Nome there's a ton of sea glass that people comb the beach for. It's like a really big, hot commodity in a jar. And then watch that feeling jar rise. And when you can allow for a hundred feelings, 
you can kind of do anything. Like things won't get you. Now, part of the reason why we're talking about this, I had forgotten about this part, is that he had a little bit of an episode with alcohol that, that he was caught drinking and it wasn't really a big problem, but I could tell that something might become a problem, that something could happen. But I think those things become problems because we're trying to outrun these hard feelings that we don't want to have. As if those hard feelings are going to get the best of us. As if those hard feelings are going to eat us up and swallow us up so that we can't survive. And there's a way in which it makes sense because like, let's say the thought is there's a polar bear there. And in Nome, this is a real thought. Like I was speaking to somebody and she was like, there are too many bears around, too many bears around town. I mean, she is waiting for the proverbial and the real bear all the time. And so you have this thought, you know, there's a bear and the feeling is terrified. And then you go into fight, fight or flight mode and you leave. And I think that makes sense. I mean, that's what we needed to do, but there, there wasn't fight or flight mode at every moment, but now in our head, when we're constantly looking for something that feels almost as terrifying as a bear without a bear being there, that we're like in fight or flight mode at every moment. And so of course you want to somehow relieve yourself of those really intense feelings of fear or worry or thinking like you're going to fall apart. I mean, there it's, it's, it's a natural instinctual thing that actually is not very useful in our present day society when we're not worried about our physical well-being. I mean, not everybody, that, that isn't true, but at, at least for, I'd say most of the people who are listening to this podcast at every moment. But, but the truth is, is that even if you are worried about your physical well-being, you would still need to keep a managed mind where you understand what you're thinking and then decide what you're thinking on purpose so that you could have a feeling that would get you through a hard experience, like, you know, like curiosity or confidence or determination to get away from something. Like, I, I still think that this is extremely important in order for us to show up in the most difficult situations as best as we possibly can. So, anyway, I think my mic is a little bit off here. I'm hoping that this all recorded and now I see my mic. Um, so anyway, so that was, that was my 13 year old, uh, who I just adored. And, um, and then there was a 19 year old from a small village who had had a lot of trauma in her life. And she goes away to school and she came back to the village because she felt lonely and was missing families, but she had a really significant and difficult relationship with her mom. And of course her mom has continued whatever the relationship was with them and continues to disappoint. And I found it kind of interesting because I think that we're always looking for our mom's and parents' approval, and we're always doing it in the same way. And this is what I normally call a frozen need. Now, a frozen need is when you're stuck in a particular time in your life where what you needed, whether it be 
love, closeness, shelter, food, whatever it is, got lost or you felt like it was cut off. And so you're always looking for that particular person to somehow satisfy whatever that continued need is. And whenever there is a frozen need, it, it's almost like it could never be taken care of or never be met. And the reason is, is that we don't control other people and how they decide to show up and how they decide to have seen that situation and what they think that they've done. People are always rewriting history in their minds and we're always rewriting history in our minds. I mean, when you think about what we look at, and I was thinking about this the other day, like I see certain colors that other people don't see and other sentient beings see different colors. So I can't even be sure that the color that I'm seeing is the actual color that it is. I hear sounds and vibrations that some people don't hear and I can't hear lots of them. So it's all going through the lens of my mind anyway. And so what happens with the frozen need is that you continue to replay whatever the scenario is and it becomes more imprinted in your brain as to the absolute actuality of what happened for every component of it. And I think what ends up happening there is that, that it becomes part of the identity of whatever you're going through, which makes it really hard to decide that there might've been something different that you could do at any point or something different that could be done in the future. Anyway, we have, I have a great newsletter about frozen needs and I think a previous podcast about frozen needs, but anyway, so, you know, so this was a, a really smart, wonderful young woman. And I described to her what frozen needs were, you know, and her ability to actually have some wiggle room in deciding what to think. And that if she wanted to keep those thoughts or not, because the people around her will always do whatever the people around her decide to do. And she has no control over that, but she does have some control over what she decides she wants to think on purpose. And then even if she doesn't feel like doing that, she still has some ability to feel her feelings fully and know that she's okay. Anyway, so this is a feelings episode, guys. And that's what I got for you today. I am just off the plane from Nome. It was a full 18 hours that I was flying and I'm a little bit jet lagged, but all is well. And now I'm back in New York and we'll be podcasting from New York. And oh, by the way, just so you know, the teen TV drama mamas have finished the first season of Gossip Girl. So we're going to have a, a fun book coming out. And so grab your cutie patootie young person and start watching some Gossip Girl. Start with episode one and then go to our podcast and discuss, 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 discuss in a third person. Discuss about what you would think. Discuss about what your vision of your own hopes and dreams were. Discuss what you somehow thought about when you went to college and what was expected. Discuss what you have expectations of other people based on your history. Whatever it is, get those conversations going. They're really, really important. And then through that third-party objective lens, you'll get a much better understanding about how to communicate with each other. It is a brilliant, people are loving it. It's the Teen TV Drama Mamas on 
every platform. And if you haven't already, subscribe to my newsletter, drnikkinaridan.com. And you can absolutely get nuggets and snack size wonderfulness each week with ideas that will work really quickly. And if you want to work with me, I don't have a lot of time. Just get in touch with me, Nikki at drnikkinaridan.com. And let's see if we can work together and change things around really quick. It's available. Joy is available now. All right. Love you guys. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. Crossing my face, no disease Ain't got no bows Ribbons in my hair Looking down south and there's something new growing down there Yeah, baby girls Now a big bad boy Can't understand why I'm still not your pride and joy Making a man out of me Papa Don't look away I'm finally the son that you wanted Or so you said Some kind of stranger Spawned from bad seed
Everything's gonna be alright I'm a natural born Red-blooded God-fearing man 